Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be catching up on all the literary news. We're going to be going through some of the paperbacks that are out, things that we've read, and and now you'll have a chance to read in paperback. And we're also going to be discussing uh, Such a Fun Age, which both of us have read. We have quite a bit to get to. Why don't we start off, as usual, with what we've been reading? Gail? So... I don't have much to report since last week because I'm reading the same two books that I was reading last time we talked. Okay. It's been been one of those weeks. I'm about halfway through The Cactus League by Emily Nemens, and I'm absolutely adoring it. So it's – I'm finding it's not a quick read. Like the – each chapter is a different little story. Um, It's it's almost like a collection of linked short stories, but it's – you know, it's literary fiction, so it's – you have to kind of read carefully because if you were to go through this more, I don't know, more quickly or skimming it, I think you'd miss a lot. So um, I'm just kind of savoring every page of this book. So that's Emily Nemen's The Cactus League, which is about um, mostly revolving somehow around an outfielder playing for a fictional baseball team who in spring training in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've heard people ask the question, do you need to be a baseball fan to like this book? And the answer is, I don't know, because I'm a huge baseball fan and I love it. And I'm not sure. (laughs) You can't separate it out. Yeah. I have to say, I think that if you'd found baseball boring or didn't know much about it, I'm not sure you'd enjoy this book as much just because there's a fair amount of references or things that happen that have to do with things on the field or they have to do with, you know, front office stuff that you wouldn't pay attention to if you didn't like baseball. So I can't really answer the question, but I, th- I think that it would not be as good, but that's just my, my guess. Okay. So I will um, still steer clear. Yeah. I mean, you might want to just try it and see, and then if, you know, get, the first few chapters, I think, are actually the most accessible for non-baseball people. So maybe that's how she hooks people in. Mm-hmm. The second book is uh, Dear Edward, which I'm doing on audio, uh, the book about the the plane crash with the 12-year-old boy who's the only survivor. And so I will hold off on my opinion um, until we until I finish it. I, I don't I'm not liking it as much as I hoped I would, or as much as maybe it's been hyped, but. Uh, I'm certainly involved and I'm going to finish it. So are you withdrawing that as your book club pick? I mean, not necessarily because sometimes I think that if there's a difference of opinion or there's things that you think could be improved, that makes for a good book club discussion. I don't particularly want to read it. So if it's not that good. (laughs) Oh, if you don't want to read it, then I'm happy to swap out something else. That's fine. So let's withdraw that officially as our book club pick. Yeah. And I'll, if you I'll had said it was really anyway. good, then I was going to. I figured I would. Oh, but if you're sort no. of like, eh. Yeah, let's, let's pick something different then. Okay. So that's what I'm reading and listening to. How about you? I have to pick a new book to listen to because I just finished Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke. 
this morning, and she's a very interesting author. She is from Houston, Texas, and she also works as a screenwriter. Like she's worked on the Fox show Empire. She worked on When They See Us, which was, I guess, the film version of the Central Park Five case that was on Netflix. And she's also working on Little Fires Everywhere, the Hulu adaptation. She tends to write books about, she's from Texas, and most of her books are centered on Texas. And they're usually about mysteries, sort of like procedurals about Black people living in white spaces in Texas. Like this series that I just started, Bluebird, Bluebird, is about a Texas ranger called Darren Matthews. He's kind of conflicted about, I don't know, the Texas community, how his career as a Texas Ranger, which he's very dedicated to, but it has caused some troubles into his life. So as the story begins, he has been put on suspension, but then he becomes involved in a murder that occurs of a black man and then a white woman is found killed. And so he makes the comment that, you know, normally something happens to a white woman and then something terrible happens to a black man in Texas. So he's very intrigued by the transposition of the murders. Her other book that I read was called The Cutting Season, and it was about this black woman who was the manager of a plantation, presumably for a white family that did reenactments. And she discovers like the history of a slave who had gone missing you know, centuries ago that she ties, you know, that's connected to a current day murder. So I always thought that was very interesting. You know, what would it be like to, as a black person, run a plantation? You know, if this is your job, you know, I think they have sort of slave reenactments, reenactments of how the plantation would run. And that's what she's chosen as her job. So she has a very interesting perspective of tying the history and and present day events. So I really like this series. I'm going to continue it. She, it the second one I think is called Heaven My Home. But um, yeah, so that's what I just finished. I'm in the process of choosing something else on audio. And I also read Something in the Water, which by Catherine Stedman, which was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. And it got lots of buzz, I think. It came out in 2018. So there was lots of buzz around that. And I really enjoyed it. It was implausible. It is about this. It actually starts off with a woman who is burying her husband in the woods of North London or the woods surrounding North London. And so you wonder what has happened. Their honeymoon was just, I believe... I think it picks up in July when they are preparing to be married and go on their honeymoon. And I think maybe they're married in September and by October he's dead. <laughs> so you kind of wonder wow. what happened there. Some people had problems with the fact that it was sort of a slow build, but I really enjoyed every moment of it because everything that goes on before plays into the story later on. She's a documentary filmmaker and she has been working on this film with imprisoned people and their experiences on how they're going to get out. So there's three people who she's talking to 
uh, right before she gets married and right after she gets married that plays into something that they find off the coast of Bora Bora when they're on their honeymoon. And one of the things that I think, even though some of it was implausible, like it, it's sort of, there, there are some things that happen that you just wonder whether they would have really happened. I think one of the central questions of the book was, I think there were so, very few of us are morally challenged by things, you know, like, you never really question who you are as a person because you really don't encounter anything that would cause you to do something that would set you down a different path. And I think this book really explores a lot about how easy it can be to start going down a different path. And then who are you and, you know, who is your partner when you're confronted to with these different circumstances that may cause you to act in ways that you've never felt that you would. I mean, we think we're good people because what really happens to make you prove or to make you question that, you know? We're not tested very often. We're not really tested, no. So that was really interesting. And I finished Trick Mirror. I loved all those essays. With essays, you never agree with everything, but it's always so interesting to get someone else's perspective on things that you have, have thought about. You know, she has essays on the institution of marriage. She has them on the internet. Um, She talks a lot about her experiences with drugs and how she feels like religion can be a similar drug. They were just all really fascinating essays. I really loved reading them. So you've been on a substantive nonfiction. I know. uh, Trend. I know. Yeah. Impressive. Do you, what do you think the reason for that is? I don't know. I think I'm I'm on a in, in a questioning kick. I think that every now and then I get into a space where I evaluate more. I think you spend years and you go along and you find yourself or I found myself in patterns that I stop and just think about what I'm doing. Interesting. So, literary news. Did you hear that Sony Meta died? Yeah, I did hear that. So he was the publisher, I don't remember which. Knopf. Um, of Knopf. I think that's such a huge deal because I feel like Knopf books are so specific. They are so specific to his taste. And I always felt like whether I liked the books or not, I knew exactly what I was going to be getting. So that was just so shocking to me when he died. Reagan author, I think, is has been nominated to take his place, which... Whichever one it is, I think will be really interesting because I don't feel like they have the same. I mean, of course, they can't be the same, but I just feel like Knopf and the books that it's publishing will change a lot. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to Amy Einhorn's imprint? Is that still going on? No, I think she, it was someplace, but she might have moved it someplace else. So interesting because whoever it is plays into a different publishing sort of scandal that's going on right now. Um, Have you been hearing about what's going on with American Dirt? Yes. Okay. All right. So yes, it is Reagan author and she is going to be the publisher at Knopf. I had read in an article that she had actually been meeting with him, having a series of lunches or, you know, they were just meeting over the years. And I think he had already indicated to her that he would want her to be his successor. He was 77 when he died, so I'm sure he was not thinking that he was going to be active at Knopf for, he was making his succession plans. 
it is going to be Reagan author who succeeds mm-hmm. him. And I'm just trying to think about what books she's published. She was at Hachette, Sherman Alexi, Kate Atkinson, Joshua Ferris, Tina Fey, Elizabeth Costova, James Patterson, George Pelicanos, uh, Ian Rankin, like lots of mysteries here, like, or some kind of, some literary mysteries. I don't know, just very different. Maybe Kate Atkinson I could have seen on Kanaf, but I'm sure a lot of the under editors will be there as well. It'll just be interesting to see where she takes it. You know, of course, she's going to do something. She'll do something completely different. Like I said, I just feel like Kanaf books for me have been so specific that it'll be interesting to see it, how it changes. Mm-hmm. So American Dirt, which I don't think I even mentioned on our preview show because I fe- felt like it was just everywhere. Maybe I mentioned it in passing. Uh, I just didn't feel like it needed anything else. And I was curious about it, um, reading it maybe possibly for a book club pick just because there was so much buzz around it to see whether it would be accurate or worthy. Oprah selected it as her book club selection for March. And so now there are huge questions about whether Janine Cummins is the one who should have told this story and sort of a little bit of a backlash against um, the book. Lots of articles on other authors that you can read who have more authentic representations and fiction surrounding Mexican Americans and the Mexican border and immigration. What was really interesting to me about everything that was going on with this is that I think something else had led me to believe that she was actually a Latina author So while she was not Mexican, I think she had been saying that she was Puerto Rican. She she was still a Latin author who had done a lot of research and was exploring this. But now it's come out that it's more recently that she's been saying that she was that she is a Latin author. Because I remember I think I read her first book, which I liked, but I didn't remember thinking that she was Latina at all. What is her first book? It was The Crooked Branch. She's written three. It's funny. She grew up around here. She grew up where? Around here, Gaithersburg, Maryland. Oh. Yeah, it was called The Cooked Branch. I remember it. it, I don't remember the book well. Like, I remember liking it. What I remember about it, it was that we had just started, like, the precursor to the Reilly Report. And it was one of the first books. It was, like, the first, one of the first books that was ever featured in the newsletter, I think. Mm. Wow, that dates so it. it came out in, in 2013. So it seems like she's undertaking this task. She's saying that, you know, other, of course, there have been other people who have championed this book or Latin American, like, or even Mexican American, Sandra Cisneros. And I think maybe Colson Whitehead said it was really good. Like, you know, it had lots of people who blurbed it, but there, there's just like this backlash on it right now and big questions of who has the right to tell which stories. Yeah, so much which backlash. Is, um, if you want to read more, I follow the hashtag. Is it um, first, no, what is first voices? What is the hashtag that is own voices, right? So it's, you know, basically a lot of debate over who has the right to tell stories about, you know, from particular perspectives. Can it only be somebody who has, actually experienced it or can it be someone writing from a different 
vantage point, but putting themselves in their shoes. So there's lots and lots of debates about that. Um, I've seen it all over Instagram. Um, did you mention that Oprah had picked it as her book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, Oprah kind of uh, endorsing the book has then led people to question Oprah. It's, I don't know. Yeah. It's really become a big thing. I think this is going to be one of the book of the month picks for February. <laughs> um, and I'm thinking about maybe getting it, but I haven't decided yet. Do you think you're going to read it? Well, like I said, because it was just, it got so much hype and buzz that I was thinking maybe it could be one of our book club picks later down in the year. I know we don't like to usually read things when they're overly hyped. Um, I was curious about it. Like I've been reading some of the reviews on it, like some of the things that people find problematic. Um, I don't know. It was really interesting what she says. I mean, I guess her foreword too is kind of cringeworthy where she talks about she wishes that someone brown browner than she was could have told this story, <laughs> which <laughs> that is a little cringy. You know, I think she got like a million dollar deal for this book. Okay. So you couldn't find anyone of color who could write this book, who you wanted to give this. So they're talking about the unprecedented amount of attention. I mean, this book was reviewed in the New York times by two different people. Plus it had, I think they ran an excerpt of it. They interviewed the author. Like it's getting just so much attention that, you know, authors of color probably do not get. Yeah. I do think that, I do think that as a writer, I think that you can't stifle creativity or stifle the stories that people tell by limiting them to just what, just what you know. I do think that you have to take the time to, if you want to do put forth a good product to, to, you know, really see people as human, to see what their motivations might be, you really have to do the work. Some of the ex excerpts that I've seen of what she's done probably would raise red flags for me. Like I remember reading the Delia, uh, Delia Owens book and just being really taken with it, being okay with it being fable-like. But then when it got to the portrayal of the black characters, like jumping, I think is is the guy and his wife who are just, you know, they're just the perfect people who just exist to help uh, the main character whose name I don't even remember at this point. You know, those those characterizations feel a little bit flat to me. And it's interesting because we'll probably talk about this a little bit later on when we talk about Such a Fun Age. That was one of the things I really liked about the book, that the main character who is African-American is she's a good person, but she's not perfect. You know, like I just feel like sometimes with a lot of white authors who write about black characters, they are either the perfect black people and you just kind of wonder, does someone have to be perfect for you to know them? Or they're the other spectrum, you know, like they're gangsters or they're drug addicts or there's just not a lot of nuance. So with such a fun age, I appreciated the nuance in the main mm -hmm. character. I guess, and I know we need to move on, but I guess one unfortunate result that might come out of this is that authors then feel um, afraid to include more diverse characters in their book for fear of being criticized. 
And then I don't, I hope that we don't then end up with books that are all about, you know, that don't have the, the diversity of character within it, within them. I mean, I don't even know that we see that much diversity of characters in books. There's so many books that I read that it's just the black characters in the black background or, you know, Asian character or Latin American character is in the, is in the background, not even as a friend or maybe just in passing. And, you know, there are certain books that I read about cities and it's just like, where are the other people in these cities? And whether that is people cannot conceive of that, maybe some people don't want to take on the responsibility, but you, I just feel like if you're writing about a city, you kind of can't have it both ways. Like you do have to take, if you can take the time to imagine richly all of these other characters, then you should be able to do it for anyone that you want in your book. And you should be able to do it for whatever city it is that you're writing about because then you haven't done your job. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our, but we do need to move on. So last thing is it is black history month. So if you are looking for, authors to read, then I would highly recommend Tyari Jones, Martha Southgate, Caitlin Greenidge, Jessamyn Ward, Jacqueline Woodson, all writing wonderfully nuanced characters and books about the black experience. Also, Ada Kalak, who I just mentioned. Uh, Colson Whitehead. And Colson Whitehead. Get a man in there. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about diversity of voices. <laughs> paperbacks all right paperbacks so there's a lot coming out um either january or february that i found that uh, and many of them are ones that we've talked about on the show before so um why don't we each go like two at a time and then okay um we won't talk too much about them just because there are, a lot of these are books we've talked about before but I think they're definitely worth uh, noting and for people who like to wait until paperbacks come out or who might be traveling or just don't want hardcovers on their shelves. Um, these are some good ones. So the first one that I have is um, Golden Child by Claire Adam. Nicole and I both read this last year and we've talked about it a lot. It is a story about uh, two boys growing up in a family. Um, they're twins one of them is um, kind of the golden child of the title, and one of them is um, has had a lot of challenges since birth. And it, it's about how the family has to come to some very difficult decisions about how to proceed when one of them is kidnapped. What country was that again? I'm, I, I'm not sure it was named. Trinidad. Oh, Trinidad. Okay. So uh, we both really enjoyed this book. It's almost fable-like, I think, in its telling. Um, it was just, it was really good and very engrossing. That uh, comes out January 27th. Um, and then another book that I really liked last year that comes out on the same day is Inheritance by Danny Shapiro, which is about the author's discovery that the man that she always thought was her father and ter- turns out actually not to have been her, her blood father. So it's about how she responds to that revelation and then what happens when she tries to track down the person who actually provided the sperm for her birth for her conception so um both of those are excellent books and i highly recommend picking them up so i didn't remember if we had mentioned on the show that waiting for eden was going to be coming out in paperback 
uh, by Elliot Ackerman. That was another book that Gail and I discussed quite a bit. Sort of, uh, I want to say it's like an odd love triangle between two war veterans and the one woman who they're both involved with, um, told from the perspective of uh, one of them who is who's dead and in some nebulous place that could be heaven or purgatory, we just don't know. And the other is uh, hanging on in recovery from just these terrible wounds and what the relationship has been between all of them unfolds as he is like lingering on the brink of life and death. So that is out in paperback. I think it came out over the fall. The other one that I want to mention is The Stranger Diaries by Ellie Griffiths, which I actually read probably in November or December of last year. It's a campus novel, and it's also a novel about uh, the main character teaches high school students. She teaches creative writing. She's writing a, a book about an author who attended their school. Uh, he wrote this really famous ghost story that everyone, everyone, it resonates with everyone or people just really love to read that ghost story. But a teacher is found dead. It's a teacher that she's connected to and the killings are connected to this ghost story. She's an expert on his writings. And of course it leads the police to her door and she is involved in this investigation of who is committing these crimes and why. So I really like that. It was a good one. Good campus novel. Okay, my next two are Made by Stephanie Land. Um, this one I have not read, although I did go to hear her speak about it. Um, this is a memoir about a young mother growing up in Montana who um, has to get by as a maid, someone cleaning homes, and it's a along the same lines as um, Nickel and Dimed. It is about sort of trying to survive in a job that is kind of invisible to the rest of the world and all of the challenges she had just trying to get by during that time and you know what it was like to clean the homes of of wealthier people and those observations i still really want to read this book it's still sitting on my shelf so that came uh, out in paperback on january 20th and then another book that I also did read last year came out on January 13 is the last romantics, which is about four siblings, sort of a sweeping family story about four siblings and um, their transition from childhood into adulthood and how their relationships with each other change over time. Um, this is by Tara Conklin. And I really enjoyed this book last year. So January 13th for Last Romantics. Hmm. What else has she written? Do you know? Yes. Do you remember read, off the top of your head? Um, I know one of them off the top of my head is The House Was Girl. Was it The House Girl? Yeah. I actually just swapped for that book. Um, and I think there's maybe one or two other ones, and I don't remember the names of them. Hmm. Okay. So this always interests me when authors do this. And I think they usually do not do this so radically. Usually... You get a cover that really changes, but when you get an author who changes the title, that's always Ooh. fascinating because I wonder how well it did. It was a book that I read called Are You Sleeping? 
And it was basically about a podcast investigation that uncovers new information um, in this murder that has happened. And of course, things are dredged up for all the parties involved as this crime is reinvestigated through this podcast. So I remember it was by Kathleen Barber, I think is her name. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, this was probably one of the first books that I had read on the heels of serial. So very serial, like, you know, this murder that took place, how it rocked this community and how it's dredging up things, you know, as it's being reinvestigated. So I, you know, I'm not sure. I, I, I enjoyed reading the book. It was not like, it wasn't a five star read, but it was definitely three and a half, four star. Like I enjoyed it. Um, so now it is a series on Apple Plus with Octavia Spencer and Aaron Paul. The book is out now as a tie-in paperback, and but the name has been changed to Truth, Truth Be Told. And I remember seeing the book Truth Be Told and reading the description. I'm just like, this sounds so familiar. <laughs> and then looking up and seeing that they had actually changed the title. So I didn't really get too much into investigating the whys of that, but I think that's just absolutely fascinating. And I want to see the series. So another book that I've discussed a lot and that I said I wanted to reread, and now maybe this is my chance to be out in paperback, is Black is the Body by Emily Bernard. And she is a university professor who's married to a white man I don't know if he's a professor as well, but it's about their life in the Northeast and how how they get along with her family, how she navigates teaching in a very white university, you know, what she wants to tell her students and how she what topics she feels she should or should not broach. Um it's subtitled I think My Grandmother's Life, My Mother's Life and Mine. So fascinating. I love this book so much. So it's out in paperback. Okay, so I have two more that I read last year. One we talked about extensively on the show, which is Bad, Bla- excuse me, Bad Blood by John Carreyrou. This is the uh, story about um, the Theranos company in San Francisco, uh, Silicon Valley and the fraud perpetuated by its CEO, And uh, it's told very journalistically and really goes through the entire um, buildup and then subsequent demise of this company and the kind of the hubris of its management. So we've talked about this at great length. This book got a lot of attention. And then the other book that I wanted to mention is another book I read last year called Woman 99 by Greer McAllister. It's historical fiction about two sisters, one of whom is committed to a insane asylum in the, God, I'm going to say it was like the late 1800s or maybe the early 1900s. And then about her sister who's trying to get her out of the insane asylum and who ends up going in herself in order to try to find her sister and bring her home. So um, I had the pleasure of interviewing Greer McAllister last year in a historical fiction panel along with Linda Loigman. And, um, it's, I call it his like historical adventure because it's really <laughs> got a lot of adventure and um, action in it. It's not necessarily, um, you know, 
just a fiction story. There was kind of a, this, this undercurrent of a thriller as part of it as well. So Woman 99 comes out on February the 4th. Now, did you? I was interested in reading that. Did you like that? I did. I don't remember. I did, yeah. Okay. All right. So my next two, one I read, I listened to this on audio. It was Looker by Laura Sims. I said it's about this embittered teacher who becomes obsessed with this actress who lives across the street. I think as the novel starts out, her boyfriend has left her. I think they're trying to get pregnant and it's not, it has not been happening. I think they've gone through a few rounds of in vitro fertilization and he, he just decides he, you know, just no longer wants to be involved with her. And he leaves his cat behind. This story is just so, she is so just bitter and such a stalker of this woman. Like I didn't find, it's a short book. I don't know that I found that much to recommend it, (laughs) but I don't know. You might want to read a book about like this embittered teacher. I just felt annoyed that because she wasn't able to have a child with her, um, with her mate that she just goes off the rails. I was like, Oh, come on. Mm. Infertility fiction. <laughs> Infertility fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was, but you know, of course she is just living on the edge after this and doing a bunch of wild things. Like there might be a student involved, the actress and her family are definitely, um, under surveillance and it does not end well. So that's what I'll say about that. (laughs) And then the suspect by Fiona Barton is out in paperback. I started last year by reading that book, wanting to read it so much because it was set in Thailand and saying that I really did enjoy reading the book. It's about this journalist who uh, goes to Bangkok. Like she's not been in communication with her son. He has been going through whatever, internal problems that he had and has decided to go find himself in Thailand. And she goes there when two girls go missing Two English girls are on vacation there. I think they're like 18 or something um, going on a little vacation and she goes to cover their disappearance. And then of course she, while she's there, she decides to check up on her son and discovers that he is somehow involved in this crime. So this is not the book to read if you want to get into Thailand and its culture. I don't know. I mean, it's it's definitely set in Thailand. You know, it delves into, I guess you get into like the backpacking culture or whatever. It's not a book that is told from, I guess you would say, a Thai cultural perspective and you know, I think there's some problematic characters in it, but in a mis- as a mystery, I really enjoyed it. It's but it's like go into this knowing that it's a Western mystery. Oh, okay. set in Thailand. Got it. All right, I want to make sure we leave time for our book club discussion. So, how many more do you want to cover? Um, do you have a couple more? I do. Okay, so let's do. Ooh, let's do one more set. Okay. Each, and then we'll get to our okay. to our book club discussion. All right. So the two more that I have, um, one is a book that we also talked about on the show, A Woman is No Man by Etoff Room, um, comes out February 4th. And we read this book. I can't remember if we did a book club on it or not, or, I did, or we just discussed it a lot. 
Um, this is a book about a woman who um, comes to the U.S. We did do a book club on we it. Did okay. What what country did she come from again? I can't remember. The character or a tough room? No, the character. Oh, I'm, somewhere I'm in not, a Middle Eastern country. Yeah, she I'm not sure. Comes to the U.S. to live with uh, her husband. She lives in, uh, I don't remember, Queens or Brooklyn or something, and is um, very, uh, he's very controlling, and she does not have much of a life here in America. So she's kind of escaped a bad situation at home, and then she comes to the U.S., and her situation is not much better. She has a very domineering mother-in-law. She lives with a, a husband who's never home and who doesn't allow her to do very much, and then she, like, in succession has four daughters. So it's a, it's it's a pretty depressing book about this woman's experience and um, kind of the cultures that keep women down and prevent them from you know living lives of potential and and then the question is you know with her daughters is that pattern going to repeat itself or is there a chance for them to kind of break three of this cycle so. Um, we had a lot to say about this book and when we do the show notes, I'll link back to the, the episode when we talked about it. So you can hear our book club discussion and, uh, yeah, I think they were Palestinian. Yeah, that's right. So, um, that book comes out on February the 4th in paperback. And then the last one that I wanted to mention is a book that I actually have in the house in hardcover have not read yet. And it's called Zucked, and it's all about Facebook and <laughs> how Facebook has screwed us over so badly, hence the title. So um, I don't I don't actually know a whole lot about this book because I, don't, I haven't read it yet. But as you know, I like to read books about uh, anything having to do with the internet economy, social media technology. Like I read The Four, and I've read, you know, uh, well, I guess Bad Blood kind of goes in that vein. So um, I'm always fascinated by books about Facebook. Tech gone wrong. Yeah. Tech gone wrong. So Zucked comes out in hardcover on February 4th. Paperback? I'm sorry, yeah, in paperback on February 4th. <laughs> <laughs> Point of the show. Zucked. All right, so my last two. One is The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls by Anissa Gray. And it is about three sisters who are estranged for various reasons, but they come together when one of the sisters goes to prison for a crime that is dangled over your head throughout the entire book. I think that that was one of the things about this book that kind of drove me a little bit crazy. I love the characterizations of all the characters and the sisters and their relationships. I thought it was so well done, but I did get tired of them referring back to the crime that, you know, you really don't. No, you don't have a real clear understanding of what it, what happened. You do know that one of their daughters has a troubled relationship with her mother and that she sort of is the one who inadvertently led to them going to jail. And at one point, one of the daughters goes missing. So it's one of those good, juicy family dramas. And the other book that I want to mention is well, actually, I have two, <laughs> then, I'll, then I'll stop. Normal People by Sally Rooney, which I feel like we have discussed so much. Um, I read it. I think, Yale, you want to read it, mm -hmm. but have not read it. Mm -hmm. I 
I really enjoyed this book. I mean, it's about relationships, the how relationships change between these two lovers from when they're in high school. And I guess he is in the power, more powerful and popular position, even though she is a wealthy woman. And then when they get to college where his, his status sort of takes a backseat to hers, like she finds her her stride there and what it does to their relationship over the course of years. People rave about this book. They really um, relate to the dynamics between the two characters. I mean, I liked it as well, but I feel like I was not, I I was not as gung ho about it as other people were. Um, And then the last by Hannah Jameson, which I really liked. It's sort of a locked door mystery set at what might be the end of the world in this hotel in Scotland Um, where a businessman is attending a conference, like he's just said, tried to leave a voicemail for his wife, seems like they may be estranged. When something happens and they realize, like, I think they lose contact with all the major cities of the world or just sort of lights out for them. So they don't know what's going on. It appears that something has happened that has just devastated everyone. They don't know if anyone else is alive and they start to negotiate life in this hotel cut off from the world. But a young woman is discovered in a water tower dead. Um, I don't even know if young woman is the right word. I think she's very young. It may be a child, like a seven-year-old or eight-year-old girl. And he becomes obsessed with finding out what happened to this child, like in the midst of them trying to remake a, a sustainable community in, in the aftermath of the world ending. So it was really good. The last by Hannah Jameson and it's out in paperback. Well, that's a lot of, a lot of good books coming out this time of year. We won't subject, subject you to a backlist book <laughs> this week. <laughs> Seeing as we've probably just given you 20. Yes, Exactly. Do we want to try to squeeze in our book club conversation? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, Gail, why don't you explain to us what Such a Fun Age is about? For those of you who do not know what this is about, which can't be that many people because this book has gotten so much attention, Such a Fun Age is about um, a babysitter named Amira who works for a woman named Alix. (laughs) It is spelled Alex, but pronounced Alix, which is actually important for the story, um, in Philadelphia. And Alix has two daughters, uh, the oldest of whom is about four. Her name is Briar. And um, Amira works for Alix on a semi-regular basis. So she's not like a full-time nanny, but she works for her regularly. And um, Amira is black, Alix is white. And one night, uh, the Alix and her husband are in need of some coverage for Briar late at night on a Saturday night. Strange circumstances, but it happens. And so Amira comes to get the daughter and take her out of the house. And she goes to a nearby fancy upscale market with the girl. And while she's there, she's questioned by a security guard there. Why is she there? Who is this girl that she's with, with the, you know, suggestion that she's kidnapped her and that she doesn't have a right to be with her. And that kicks off a series of events um, that explore 
race, the relationship between Alix and Amira, um, a whole host of, of issues relating to sort of how the two of them relate to each other and what they bring to that relationship. There's um, a man involved who starts dating Amira. It turns out that he has a back connection to Alix from earlier in her life, and that complicates things further. And it's really, I think, a book about the ways in which we bring our own expectations, uh, conclusions, prejudices into relationships and how that affects them going forward. Um, I'll just give my really quick take on it. And then Nicole will hear from you. I, I liked this book. I do not think it was quite as deep or as groundbreaking as maybe I had expected it to be given the hype. Um, I mean, I thought it was a, it's a memorable book. I, I got to know these characters pretty well. And I thought that the author did a really good job of getting into their heads and, you know, really sort of understanding them, how they talk, how they think. Um, but I don't know, in the end, I just didn't find it to be quite as like momentous as I had expected it to be. I like this book. I also, I, yeah, I really like this book. I thought that she handled certain things particularly well. I just didn't feel like, I felt like this has been described as literary fiction. Um, I didn't feel like it was literary fiction. Like there, it was like, I felt like the writing was okay. I really did like the characterizations and I felt like she w did make some very astute she had some very astute commentary about relationships. I don't know how much I felt like it was about people's expectations so much as I felt like she was just conveying how blind the white people that Amira encounters, even though that they may be well-meaning. I think that there was so much that she got about the character of Amira, like I said earlier in the show, that I felt like was a complex and nuanced portrayal that we don't often get of minority characters that they don't have to be perfect. What I really loved about Amira was that she is looking to find herself. I think we read so many books about people who are just so certain about what they want to do. They come out of college, they start careers, but I like that she was searching for what it was that she wanted to do, that she felt out of place amongst her friends I don't know. I I felt like the uh, the initial interaction that kind of sets everything off, you know, like that kind of makes Alix question herself uh, and question Amira and whether she will remain as her babysitter. I just felt like so much of of how other people interacted with with Amira is benefited by their own self interest, like. Alex doesn't want to lose her as a babysitter. There's some stuff that she doesn't want to come out about her own family. Like she wants to be seen in a very particular way. So I thought, I thought that she got those things right. And that, and that, that they could be talking points, but in terms of, I mean, I feel like the upscale grocery store, like the, the security guard being so, however he was like that interaction between them, I don't know. You just, I, I know that she was not dressed. She makes the point that she had gone out Saturday night. So she's like dressed up for a night out. Mm -hmm. 
which is why it's so distinctive that she's with this child. I just, she's in Philadelphia. I just don't know that that would happen in a gourmet grocery store. Yeah. Even the ones that I've been in. Like, I don't even know that I've, there's been ones where security guards are even patrolling. Yeah. I thought that the sort of initial setup of the, the events that set the book in motion, um, they were a little, uh, implausible. Like it wasn't right yeah. for a book that. And does anyone really black, black, uh, bat an eye at a white child with a black woman, young black woman? I mean, a lot of times the assumption would be that she is the nanny. Um, like I said, I wasn't sure if it was because it was late at night and it was the way she was dressed. I just don't, I just have never been in like gourmet garage or anywhere and seen a security guard patrolling that would ask. (laughs) I just wish for a different circumstance there. There were a couple of different things that were stressed throughout that I just didn't feel like made a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, I think there were some things that, that stretched reality a little bit. Um, I, I did like that. She sort of created these two nuanced women who were not, uh, you know, not, neither was perfect. Um, and that they were, you sort of got to understand each of them without necessarily putting them into like a particular box. Um, really? I thought I really put Alex into a particular box. She seemed like, not that she was inaccurate in any way, but I felt like she was just representative of so many well, maybe- women who just misunderstand I think that side of Alix for sure, but I think that you at least got to understand like how Alix got to be who she was. Cause she didn't start out that way necessarily. Like she sort of, you know, had a different, like you sort of understand why she does kind of the annoying thing she does. I'm not saying necessarily with respect to how she treated Amira, but just like sort of how she got to where she got in life. Um, I don't know. Like, I think my main criticism is what you voiced initially, which was that I was expecting literary fiction. And I, what I got was a very readable story, but it was, it just felt a little lighter than what I had thought I was going to get. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. And I think that was one of the points that Amira makes too, when she wants to downplay the incident of what happened with the security guard and how, Kelly and Alex really feel like, well, Alex had her own reasonings for doing what she did. Kelly seemed to come from a more genuine place, even though he was problematic in how he presented himself or how he felt like he should be in order to be with Amira. Like, it was funny how they, she makes the point of him showing up at the, showing up at the club and he makes sure he comes with black friends and yeah. She she makes some comment about you know they look like they're going to be in a in a really problematic music video or just their interactions when he takes her to that bar that is not a place where she feels comfortable and he doesn't even realize that it's a place that she would not feel comfortable and I thought it was funny like the kind of person that uh, Kelly ends up with at the end because it's like a joke I feel like I've made with some of my black girlfriends about 
what types of black women certain white men are looking for because he is looking for a particular thing. Yeah. And I felt like he wanted Amira to, you know, to, to be, to take this woke position and to make a big deal of what happened to her, like this viral event that she's going to benefit from when she really wants just a quieter lifestyle. She wants to figure out her job situation, what it is that she wants to do. And so then he ends up with this woman, I guess, who, who fits more his standards of who he thinks that he, you know, what he feels like a black woman should be or how she should present herself. Right. It's interesting how many people are projecting what they want out of Amira onto her. And she's, you know, at a stage in her life where she's having her own issues with questioning her identity and what she wants to be and who she wants to be and what she wants to do and adulthood. And then she's got these people that are like sort of molding her into this image. You know, Alix is, is trying to sort of turn her into this like sage almost like she's looking to her at her to like kind of shed all kinds of, of, of like perspective on Alix's own life where uh, Amira is really not paying much attention to Alix and it's not, she's not really registering with her. And, um, yeah, like how many 25 year olds register with their employer, right. you know, it, but this reminded me a lot of Rumam Alam's book. Oh yeah. What was it? Some kind of mother or right. that kind of mother, I think that kind of mother. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, someone who's trying to be intrusive in your life and has her, has her own ideas. Like I think both books sort of touch upon these white, white women. And I think both books have uh, black women in caretaking roles where they want to become a part of like what, (laughs) what Amira is doing as a job, you know, and it's a, it's an important job, you know, who looks after your children is very important. But a lot of times these roles are, are underpaid and then you have someone who is an employee who's basically forced in order for their employment to go along with whatever it is your whims are like she's asking her what kind of wine she likes or pushing wine on her or trying to get to know her and it's like lady I just want to go home and hang out with my friends right. and do whatever it is that I do right. she's <laughs> like just leave me alone like I don't need you to you know she's stalking life. her like there is this kind of possessiveness over her too. I mean, the dynamic between her, between Alix and Kelly is adversarial. Right. So that is our discussion of such a fun age. Um, yeah. Let's leave that there. Yeah. Lots of, lots of food for thought for a book club, yeah, you know, definitely like is. not the literary experience I was looking for, but I did appreciate a lot of the points that she was making. Yes. And I think that when you read reviews of this book or a lot of discussion that's been around there, that's, you know, all these types of questions have come up. So she certainly succeeded there. Good. Well, go check out paperbacks and until next week, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Reader League can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. 
Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.